Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Good morning, you guys. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, so we, we've started a new series. We started last week um, called um, Found in the Way, right? And um, I'm going to talk to you about that in just a second. But the series that we left, uh, we've already left behind, but we began at the beginning of this year was called Brand New Day. And part of the rhythm of that series was we were capturing stories of people from our, our community, uh, uh, and they were answering questions like, where have you seen God's faithfulness move and in your story, and some of them, we got we got a bunch of great stories, and we've continued to be filming these, and so we, so they're they're fantastic, and so some of them we've been sharing online, um, but we captured one really special one, and I just I really wanted to share it with you this morning. This is our very own Cassidy, so we're gonna um, yeah we're gonna hear just a little bit of her story real quick. So before having a relationship with Jesus, I would always like worry and have anxiety around like everyday things about my future or school or like whatever it was. And once I started pursuing a relationship with Jesus, it just totally took that everyday worry away from my life because I came to the realization and he showed me that my life is in his hands and he's such a loving father that like, I know that his plan is the best plan for my life and I don't have to worry because I know that he cares for me enough to not let anything, my worries, And another way that he's showed me his faithfulness and goodness is through comparison. And also before pursuing a relationship with him, it would be easy to compare, judge others, or compare yourself to other people because you'd be either better or worse or any of those. (laughs) Um, And now once, now that I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm able to myself on the same ground on equal ground as the other people now I'm able to love people just the way that God loves them because I know that his love has changed my life the way that if I can love people with his love then it makes the world a better place thanks Cassie that was really special it takes a lot of courage to share your story, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of guts to, you know, speak out and share what God is doing. And, and I, you know, hearing this, I've watched it a few times, and hearing this, I thought, you know, it just fits in really well with um, what we're doing in this new series, which is, so it's called Found in the Way, and the idea of it is that in life, we're often presented, um, uh, we're presented different ways of thinking, different, different uh, groups to belong to. We're presented uh, different options for the way we categorize our, our beliefs and our values and our ideologies. And often these things are presented to us in what I, what I think of as kind of a false dichotomy that it's, it's, it's you're either this or you're that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, oh you, you're this? Oh, then you're not that. You know, and this is how the world presents these things to us, particularly in fractured and tense times, which we're, we're in, I would say. But when I, when I read the teachings of Jesus and I compare them to what I see in the world, 
what I find is that Jesus often is offering us a third way. Um, what he's offering us is a different way. Um, and it's different than the other things that are on offer. And so what we did is we, we, we kind of are narrowing our focus into the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon in the scriptures. And it's found, among other places, it's found and recorded um, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Now, it's very likely that he gave this sermon multiple times, but Matthew's recording of it is, is uh, a really good one. And so we're using that as kind of a backdrop to, uh, to understand the way of Jesus, which we're all a part of and pursuing. Um, and so to do this, we're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. Tim kicked us off last week, um, and he started us off with the first few verses. But I wanted to read them again just they're short, and it gives us context for what we're talking about. So this is, if you have your Bible, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, and, um, but before we do, um, before we read that, I wanted to tell you a quick story. So, and I have a picture to go along with it. So this is a picture of me and my wife, Amy. Um, yeah. This is from just a couple years ago. No, this is like almost 20 years ago. Look at that hair, man. That's pretty, that's pretty epic. Um, Amy looks pretty much the same, but I've, I've changed a little bit. Not, not for the better, I don't think. Um, so I want you to picture, like, this guy when I tell you the story, because this, this, is, this is this guy. I was at a, so Amy's family had some kind of, some kind of gathering at their house. All I, I don't remember much about it. All I remember is that there was a whole bunch of people, and I didn't know any of them. I was there for Amy and the free food. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, this is this guy. And I'm just, like, wandering around, and Amy's talking to some people, and I'm just like standing in line for food with some people that I don't know. You know what I mean? And I hear these two women, and they're talking about the, some trees. They're talking about these trees, and they're going back and forth and back and forth, and I'm kind of bored. You know, I'm just like waiting for food. And, and so one of them's like, no, no, it's this kind of tree. And I just, I just interject. I go, I go ma'am, you're wrong. That's, actually, that's, that's a banyan tree. It's totally not. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what a banyan tree is. I was just having fun. You know? I was like, no, that's a banyan tree. And she goes, oh, really? Well, how do you know? And without even missing a beat, I was like, because I'm a, a botanist. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, I don't That guy does that kind of stuff. Not, not this guy. Like, you know what I mean? Claims to be a botanist at parties. And I just thought it was funny to me, you know? I didn't know this person. I thought, I'll never talk to this person again. I just, it was funny. I like, I got my food and I'm, I'm sitting there eating and I'm thinking, I'm, it's already out of my mind. I've forgotten about it, but I'm eating and I look across the party and I see that same woman talking to my mother-in-law and she's kind of going like this and I hear her mouth the word botanist. I, I mean, I can see her lips moving and my mother-in-law kind of turns to me and goes, what? You know? I'm like, oh, jeez. Yeah, so, so I was thinking about that story when I was thinking about this question, which I want us to think about as we read these verses, which is, can you think of a time when you tried to pretend to be something that you're not? Can you think, think of a time like that? Um, this is, you know, when we examine our hearts and we, we measure ourselves against the teachings and the values of Jesus, it's often, I, I, this has been my experience. I don't know if this is yours. I don't want to speak for you, but it's often where I feel a little bit like a sham or a fraud, you know, I feel like, I, I see areas in my life where it feels like I'm just pretending to be something that I'm not. And um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read this Sermon on the Mount, 
And we're going to face these questions head on. We're going to face these questions of things like you know, hypocrisy and, and trying to be something that we know that we're not. And we're, we're going to let this sermon kind of challenge us. And so um, to do that, I've invited my partner, the other person in that picture, uh, to help me. This is my lovely wife, Amy. She's going to come and just help me real quick for this first part. Thanks, Amy. Hello and good morning. Happy to be here. You can stand, you can stand up here okay. if you want. <clears throat> so, hi. Hey, good morning. <laughs> um, so last year in the fall, we had the opportunity to go to Israel, and it was an incredible opportunity, something that we had been like planning for for a few years. Um, and we got to go to the Sea of Galilee. We went to lots of different places, but one of the places we went was the Sea of Galilee. And we got to walk around, and it was incredibly beautiful. We took tons of pictures, as we often do on these trips. And, um, but it's near Capernaum, and it was just a beautiful place, and it's um, most likely, they say, where Jesus might have um, done his Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes. So we were just, um, we brought a picture to put up for you guys, so you can see that in the background while we're reading it together. So. Yeah, so what we're going to do is, um, so this is Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, 1 um, through verse 8. So it's actually really short. And Tim covered a couple of these verses last week, but I, I wanted you to see the kind of the um, kind of the path forward as these verses kind of like, they begin to stack on one another and they're, they're connected in a way um, that's important. And so what I was going to do is I'm going to read, uh, in fact, I have the... New King James Version right here. I'm going to read this version. You can read along with whatever version you have. But what I'm going to do is pause after each verse, and Amy's going to read from the message, which is, it's, it's not a translation, it's a transliteration. So it's, it's English in its most basic form, and it's um, uh, a very different way of reading and thinking about these verses. And I thought we could do kind of a compare and contrast thing. So you guys up for that? All right. Either way, here we go. Here we go. All right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's right. So uh, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and he was seated. His disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you embrace, can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. 
Thanks, babe. That was beautiful. It's kind of cool to hear it from that different that different language, right? That kind of more poetic kind of feel to it. So, um, so there's a there's a particular order. I. I tend to believe, I, I fall in the camp of people that believe that Jesus ordered these in a particular way, that it mattered the order in which you read them. Uh, Tim talked about this a little bit last week, um, and this is the moment where we begin to pivot. So the, the first three that he read last week and we talked about beautifully, um, they focus on the internal, and now we're pivoting to how that affects the external. Okay? So there's internal contemplation to begin with, but those contemplations then have external implications, all right? So this is where we begin to pivot. And here's the thing. As you read these, what I find more and more, and I've read them hundreds of, maybe thousands of times, and the more I read them, the more I see that it, it, it appears that some of these things that Jesus is saying, are, are talking about, this world that he's talking about, it seems upside down to us. It seems upside down. It seems like the things he's saying are the opposite of what you would naturally assume was true about the world. Um, have you ever seen, I, I want to show you this picture. Have you, do you remember these? If you're over 40, you probably remember these. <laughs> remember this? Like, if you're under 40, you don't know what this is, and like, you, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to explain it to you. But, so, so I had one of these growing up in the 80s, and I had a whole bunch of those. You know what those are, right? You, so it's like you stick one in, and you you know, right? And you look through the thing. And um, I had a whole bunch of ones from places around the world. You ever have, you know, you know, you look and you see the Taj Mahal, you know, and then, you know, and, you know, you see uh, the Dome of the Rock or, you know, these famous sites around the world. And, uh, but I, but the thing is, is on the other side of that, so that's the part that's facing out. The part that's facing in when you're looking at it, if you remember, it looks the same upside down and right side up, you know? It, it, I always did the thing where you'd put the thing, you grab it, and I'd realize, oh, I'm upside down. You've got to flip it around, right? And it reminds me of, of, of this sermon very much where Jesus is speaking in a way, and we, you know, we're, we're looking through what he's saying, and it appears that the world is upside down. But, but here's the thing. It's the world that's upside down. We, we're hanging upside down. We've got it backwards in many ways, right? And what he does is he's showing us what the world could and should be like if we embraced his values, right? What it was intended to be like by its creator. Now, a lot of times, uh, preachers and teachers, what they do is they, you know, they share the scriptures and then they culminate and they tell you the, the, the main point, or maybe there's three points. I just have one, and I'm gonna tell it to you right now, right at the beginning, all right? I'm doing it backwards. And that's because it's important that we frame these verses in this way. And it's this, that the way of Jesus, this way that we're talking about, the way of Jesus, is more about becoming like him than it is about acting like him, right? It's about becoming like him, not merely acting like him. There's a difference. There's a difference. What's the difference between trying to act like Jesus and becoming more like him? Well, it's the difference between conforming and transforming, right? Conforming is actually something that comes very natural to us. It's very natural. When you go to uh, when you go to a gathering, when I was at that gathering where I was telling people I was a botanist, or you know, where you, you, know, you go to places where there's people, we conform to the surroundings. We don't go and act different than everyone else to make a spectacle of ourselves. Most of us don't, you know? You conform, you talk the way that other people talk, and you, you know, you, that's why we have 
cultures, cultures are all about human beings kind of conforming to the, the, the general sense of how other people are so we can fit in, so we can identify our tribe, so we can, we all want to belong, right? So we do a lot of conforming. It's very natural. It comes very natural for us. But it's not enough to conform to the ways of Jesus. In fact, it's kind of impossible. It is. So there's another process here called transforming. I, I like to use this word becoming. Becoming, because it's like we're one thing and we're becoming something else. You ever read about, um, uh, we talked about this before the service, but you, you ever read about uh, the transformation where a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly? It's bananas, man. Like, it's crazy. It, a, a creature that has all kinds of features and attributes weaves itself a little sleeping bag and climbs in and then turns into a liquid, like a soup. Like if you cut one of those things open, which don't do that, you shouldn't do that. Like they're in process, don't, you know, don't disturb them. But if you did, if you were to cut one of these open and look inside, you know what you'd see? Goo. It literally turns into goo and then you know what happens, right? Like after a few days or weeks, depending on the species, this thing unzips the sleeping bag and comes out and it's a completely different kind of creature. It has none of the attributes of the previous one. It's totally different. That's wild, we're supposed to be okay with that? Like, <laughs> like that's just wild. And, but, so it's miraculous and yet it happens in our gardens on the side of the street all the time and we just walk by it. This is the kind of radical transformation that is happening inside of us if you're a follower of Jesus. And, and it's easy to read this sermon and other, mess, you know, other words of Jesus, and they just kind of fly by us, right? They just fly by. But if we stop and think about it, like I lay awake at night thinking about that caterpillar. It's crazy that that happens. And the same thing is happening inside of me. Paul, Paul calls us new, what? New creatures. We're, we don't have the same attributes as the old creatures. We're becoming something else. So let's look at how we're becoming something else and what we're becoming. So uh, in this sermon, uh, begins in chapter 5, and we just read these verses. We're going to focus in on the second uh, grouping of three uh, Beatitudes, and it begins with this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So Jesus is telling us something right here in the fourth Beatitude. He's telling us that, that righteousness is what transforms our desires. Righteousness is what transforms our desires. Now, I was raised Catholic, and so you know my Catholic upbringing uh, comes into play when I hear words like righteousness. Now, this might not be your experience, but for me, I hear words like righteousness, and it's very hard for me not to think about it like this. Doing less sins. Like, I want to be like God, so I'm going to sin less. I'm going to do less bad stuff. That's in me to think that way. It's very natural for me to think that way. And Jesus' sermon is calling me to a different way of thinking. He's, he's asking me to think about it in a different way. But my natural inc inclination is to wake up in the morning and think, I want to make God happy, therefore I want to do less bad stuff. Right? That's not a terrible way to think. But it's not the primary way that we think as followers of Jesus. When you look at the Old Testament prophets, it's clear that they also 
had something like that way of thinking in their writing. And when you look at, like, check this out. This is Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah writes this. He says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That word in Hebrew for filthy rags is a description. It's the same term that you would use to describe the bandages you'd wrap around a camel's knees. You know, if you had a camel, camels kneel down. If, you, if it's a domesticated animal, they, they kneel down a lot more than they're supposed to, so they would get sores on their knees. To combat that, they would wrap those sores in rags. So he's saying the good things that we do are like those stinking putrid rags, right? It's not good. It's not good. It's pretty visceral. He says we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins blow us and sweep us away. So he's saying we're, we're, our, the good things that we do are not good enough, and the bad things that we do totally control us. That was Isaiah's perspective on this, right? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I, I, it's in me to think that way about myself. But here's the good news. Here's, there is some good news. Jesus, yeah, he came and he established a new way. It's not just yet another covenant between God and man. It's the eternal covenant. It's the new way. And he established this new way by dying on a cross and then rising from the dead to, to show that he had conquered death. And Paul explains this, this new way in his letter to the church in Corinth. And he says it like this. He says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, he made Jesus to be sin for us. In other words, Jesus took on all of our, um, all of our sinful acts, all the ways in which we are controlled by our actions. He took those things on that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you in him? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then you're in him. Then you have become the righteousness of God. You don't have to wake up in the morning and think, how can I do less bad stuff? He's done the work in you already. And that's just where it starts. That's just the beginning of it. You know, I, I, if you've heard me speak for a few years, you've probably heard me say this. I say this a lot. People do the things that they do because they want something for themselves. People do what they do, even things that appear to be unselfish. They do them because they want something for themselves. But followers of Jesus who are being transformed by this new way, they do the things they do because they want things for others. We're no longer bound by the same laws of selfishness. So it begs this question, am I hungry? So what does it say? It says, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Am I hungry for things to be made right for others besides just myself? You know, if we're seeking his righteousness, it changes what we're hungry for. What's the difference between his righteousness and just our concept of righteousness? Is it, you know, is it, is it us doing more good stuff? Is it us doing less bad stuff? Is that how God thinks of righteousness? When we look at the scriptures, what we see is that righteousness is, is actually uh, things being in right order in the world. Remember we talked about it from our perspective, the world seems right side up, and, but Jesus' words help us see that the world has been made to be upside down by us, by our actions, by the actions of human beings. Bringing it back into right order is righteousness. That's what righteousness is. I think to help us understand 
the idea of righteousness, though, it's good to understand the problem of evil, the problem of sin. It's a problem, right? In fact, when you read, the reason why this is important and the reason I'm bringing it up right now is because when you read polling of people that um, have uh, claimed Christianity but have walked away from it, or people that have had the opportunity to embrace Christianity and have rejected it, generally speaking, those people, when they, when they answer these polls about why that is, at the top of the list, almost without fail, is something, some version of the problem of evil. And it goes like this. If God is good, and he's great, meaning all-powerful, how can there be so much suffering and evil in the world, right? It's a problem. And when we, have, when we talk about God's righteousness, we have to talk about the evil that's in the world. It's a tall order to answer that question. But what I am going to do is I'm going to just, um, just talk about the, the problem of evil itself. And it, it, the way we think about evil, the way that we think about sin, when I get up in the morning, I think I've got to sin less. I think of those things as being objects unto themselves. People would say, is evil real? Is evil real? Is it? When we look at the righteousness of God, what we see is that evil and sin are actually not things. They're not things. In a very real way, they are not real. They're not present in this world. They're, they're, they represent the absence of something. right? So think about it like this. Um, cold. We talk about cold like it's real. It's cold this morning. Was it cold this morning when you got up? I got up early. It was cold, right? If, you're, if, you, if you warm up your food, but you didn't warm it up enough, what do you say? It's, it's still cold. And you send it back and you warm it up some more, right? It's cold. Is cold a thing? It's not a thing. That's a trick question. I'm sorry. And you're like, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what to answer. It, it's not a thing. It's the absence of heat. Cold is not a thing. It has no ontological property. It is not its own object. It's the absence of heat. In very real way, evil is the same way. Evil seems present in this world because of the lack of righteousness. Because we have pushed back the righteousness of God and made an abscess in this world. But when we begin to live and breathe the values of Jesus and his righteousness begins to uh, flow into us and then back out of us, what we're doing is we're filling that absence with what was always meant to be there, his right order, his values, right? Right? When you walk into a room, let me say it another way. When you walk into a room and you flip a light switch, where does the darkness go? Dark is the absence of light. It's not a thing, right? It's the same way. As we begin to embrace the values of Jesus, what we're doing is we're walking through the world and we're flipping on light switches. The second beatitude that we're looking at today, of the second of three, is, is this one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, my Catholic upbringing, I hear this transactionally, right? It's like, <clears throat> if I show people merciful, mercy, then God will be merciful to me. That's good, because he is all-powerful, right? So if I do these little acts... He'll view me as merciful, and then, oh, goodness, he won't punish me and crush me and destroy me, right? Right? But actually what Jesus is showing us is that as we embrace the idea of mercy, mercy then begins to flow out of us. 
It transforms our relationship. So this is where we pivot. This is where we go from the internal to the external. This, these words have external implications. You can't just take the words of Jesus and go throughout the week and just kind of think on them. I mean, you can, but, but, <laughs> but, but they're meant to be then lived out, right? You, you have to do something about Jesus. That's the thing. He doesn't leave you any room to just ponder him and then move on. When we begin to embrace mercy, it transforms our relationships. His mercy changes the way we see and treat others. And the way that we embrace mercy is we remember the ways in which he's been merciful with us. We think about, do you, do you ever think about, if it wasn't for Jesus, where would I be? I think about this a lot. I do. And it makes me very grateful. And it makes me want to be merciful to others because I've received so much mercy myself. You know, in, um, in this verse that we're reading, this Greek word for mercy, is a, it's an adjective. It's a description of a kind of behavior. But often in the Gospels, it's that word, we read it as the same word mercy, but it's a verb. It's a Greek word that's, that's used as a verb. Like in Mark 10, 47, when the blind man calls out to Jesus, he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Right? In English, we, we add that word have, but in the Greek, it's just, Son of David, mercy me. It's a, it's a verb, it's an action. Do mercy to me, God. You hear the desperation in that, right? Spiritually, we all began with the same desperation. Son of David, mercy me. If you have an accurate view of the desperate sense that we all have spiritually and where, where we would be without Jesus, that would be our cry. Son of David, have mercy on me. And when you think about the way in which he did answer and respond to our spiritual sickness and heal us and what we've been healed from, it makes you just want to be merciful to others. I want to read you this verse. It's one of my favorite verses from the Minor Prophets. This comes out of Micah. Um, do you know Micah? The, the, it's a book of the Bible, Micah. How, how many people have read the book of Micah? Oh, actually a few. Okay, that's good. The reason, why, the reason why I read from these minor prophets is because I'm trying to help you with a, a very uncomfortable situation that's coming your way in the future. And here it is. You know, we talked last year about the new heaven and the new earth. There's a resurrection. There's a world after this one. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be in it. And at some point, this is going to happen, you guys. At some point, someone's going to walk up to you because you're going to have all the time in the world. Someone's going to walk up and say, hey, Colin, I want to introduce you to my friend. His name is Micah. And Micah's going to go, Colin, it's really nice to meet you. You read my book, right? You read my book, right? Right? You read my book? You should read Micah. So, so now I'm going to read this verse to you, and so you'll have something to talk about when you meet Micah Sunday, Okay? That's why I'm reading this. This is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly. It's good when we act with justice. It's good, right? Is that good? But he doesn't want, to, want us to just act mercifully. He wants us to love mercy, to embrace his value of mercy. 
when we receive it, it will naturally flow out of us. You know, the opposite of apathy, which is to not care, is empathy. So when we move from apathy into empathy, empathy is the value that mercy is based on. Love mercy. All right, we're almost done. This is the third of those three Beatitudes we're focusing on today. It's this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure is one of those odd words. It's, a, um, it's an absolute adjective. It's not meant to have adjectives in front of it. You know, have you ever heard someone say this? Oh, this thing was mostly pure? That's not a thing. It's either pure or it's not pure. You don't put adjectives in front of absolute adjectives. You know, how about another one? Perfect, right? Have you ever heard someone say, it was almost perfect? No, it wasn't. It was not perfect. It's an absolute. Infinite? Infinite is another one. I got about 18 of these I'm going to do real quick. All right? No, I'm just kidding. Mike's like, oh, brother. Infinite. Have you ever heard someone say nearly infinite? That's not a thing. It's infinite or it's not. Pure. It can't be mostly pure. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Right? What does that mean to be pure in heart? This is wild, you guys. It says, for they will see God. What a proposition that is. I want you to take note of something. When I read this, this, this like just, it's like a light goes off. So Matthew was right, he was a Jew, and he was writing to a Jewish audience. And so he carefully curated the words of Jesus. When you compare the, to the other Gospels, you can see he actually changed a couple things. Here's what he changed. Um, in Jesus' sermons, he would often say, the kingdom of God. He talked about it a lot, the kingdom of God. But when you read it in Matthew, Matthew changed it to say the kingdom of heaven. Why would he do that? Because the word God was so precious, so significant, that a first century Jew would find it offensive to read it over and over and over. So, so he changed that. It was Matthew's sensitivity to his audience. But in this verse, he does not hold back, right? He could have said heaven. But he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He wanted us to, to live with the weight of that statement. Here's what John writes in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what he does. He's, he has already done the work. He's purified us from all unrighteousness. So what is it about this pure of heart thing? If you're like me and you hear this again, you're hearing this constant voice say, oh, I need to... Sin, I need to sin less. I need to have less sinful thoughts, right? Is that what makes my heart pure? Oh, if only, right? If only. It's Jesus that has made my heart pure. I'd like to propose a different way of viewing this, this word purity here in this verse. I'd like to propose this word uncluttered. Uncluttered. It's an uncluttered heart he's after. My heart has been washed in his blood. It's made pure in his righteousness. But then I stuff into my heart lots of values that do not align with Jesus. There's things that I just want to care about, that he doesn't want me to place over things that he cares about. Do you remember uh, last year when we finished up, we were reading the book of Revelation together in a series called Last Days, and we read this verse. This is a radical verse. Listen to this. It's Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. It says, no, talking about the future, okay? Remember the future? The new heaven, the new earth, where you're going to meet Micah someday, right? Okay? Talking about that, 
John says this, no longer will there be any curse. That's good news. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. That's us. We'll be there. Listen to this. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, I don't think we're going to get forehead tattoos. I think this is John's figurative language to mean that the values of Jesus now are so uncluttered in their presence in our heart that they just flow out of us in the most natural way and there's nothing else sitting alongside them. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. I want that for myself and I want that for you. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, We'd love to help you find out. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.